Jungle podcast is raw, it's real, it has zero gimmicks, zero bullshit, and absolutely zero fucks to give. Welcome to the Iron Jungle. This is real, no bullshit, no holds barred, wide fucking open podcast. We've been at this far too long to be fucking around. This is the jungle. Where anything goes, no holds barred. We're going to be talking about the real shit. How to succeed. In a world where you have goals, but there's so much misinformation and bullshit trying to sell you something. This is the informative podcast. And there's no hope behind the jungle. The question is, are you ready? Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle, baby. Welcome to the iron jungle. Let's go. What up, everybody? Welcome back inside the jungle. The vanilla gorilla, Drew Pierce, who's now more famous than ever. He's got his own... Bill Nye, the science guy type shit going on over at YouTube for Dragon Farmer here for another episode of the Iron Jungle podcast. Bro, I mean, did you expect yourself to be like, you're literally Bill Nye of the supplement industry now. Congratulations. Well, you know, I, some of us have to do it. Some of us have tried. Some of us have noxious tattoos, shaved heads, and can't talk about anything but citrulline. But I like to bring a different perspective and just keep the shit fun, keep it light, and be the lovable science asshole that I am. I can't wait for you to come out with your first product or dragon that, that features eight grams of citrulline. I just can't wait for it to happen. Bro, eight grams is like for, for like, I don't even know, sex offenders. Oh, sorry, sorry. I mean, I meant, I meant, yeah, yeah, eight grams. Uh, sex offenders. Okay, I like it. So Drew's going to make a sex offender uh, niche pre-workout coming soon. To Dragon Farmer, I'm sure that I'm sure that they would love that. Uh, they're love thirteen to buy it though. That's the problem. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But they, <laughs> they're gonna love this episode because uh, we're gonna debunk or at least talk about a bunch of nutrition myths. Now we've talked about fitness myths in the past. Um, nutrition myths. Uh, I think there's Jesus Christ. I mean, we could probably do six episodes on this one too. And this is your forte. This is the Vanilla Gorilla Nutrition Solutions 101. You get these questions all the time. I've obviously have taken a, um, an appreciation more for nutrition um, as I've gotten older, for sure, and, and within the better amount of the last 10 years. I don't have a certificate in nutrition, none of that kind of stuff. Drew, I think you, you probably do, right? Yeah, uh, of course. I don't have any certificate, man, but I have a fucking double major in exercise science and dietetics, so on occasion, I, I, I dabble in nutrition as well. <laughs> Drew, tell me, I mean, we have three, so for those listening like and watching, there are three macronutrients. There is protein, which everybody considers the best of the macronutrients. There is carbohydrates, which some people consider the devil. And then there is fats, which I think have in a, uh, a weird connotation with them. I don't think people fully understand fats. They assume fat right away and they think negative, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, but all three macronutrients, I, my personal opinion and personal belief is, because I'm not hardcore keto, is I think all three macronutrients are necessity to a healthy life. That's my personal opinion. I may be wrong based on science, but like I need all three of them to live happy. And that's what you should be. You shouldn't eliminate any single macronutrient completely, in my opinion, unless you're doing even, say, the keto diet. That's not meant, in my opinion, to be a sustainable long-term lifestyle diet. I know somebody's going to say, oh, but keto this, keto this for longevity, keto this, da, 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 apophagy, autophagy, autophagy. Like, okay, throwing out scientific terms, I don't even know what it fucking means. I truly don't think that cutting any single macronutrient out for long-term is a good idea. Each macronutrient has its own properties. Obviously, you need amino acids from protein for really everything in the body, cells, muscle, bone, everything relies on amino acids that can be broken apart from the protein used as needed in the amino acid pool, and we'll dive into more of that later. Same with fats, you need for healthy hormone levels, circulation, joints, heart health, cardiovascular health, helping with digestion. Like 
fats are one of the most important macronutrients there is in terms of all the functions in the body. Same with carbohydrates. Some would argue that this is the least needed macronutrient because they solve for purposes for energy. But in my opinion, the body is designed to work on glucose. Your brain loves glucose. Your muscles love glucose. If you're a performance athlete, cutting in carbohydrates is going to be counterproductive. Sure, there's different things you can do to, um, you know, once again, increase your insulin sensitivity and like uh, lose body fat. But most people think def by default, oh, carbohydrates are just for energy. Therefore, if I don't eat carbohydrates, I force my body to burn fat. That's not necessarily the case. And um, I think we've stated this before. There's nothing stating that a carbohydrate elimination is any better in general than any other caloric deficit in terms of achieving fat loss. But I digress. So that's kind of the opening <laughs> very bold line there, not directly attacking keto, but kind of setting the tone. It's interesting because you look at the macronutrients and you look at the complexity of each macronutrient uh protein's probably uh, on the surface the the simplest of them because like there's uh, uh, for 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 argument purposes here like there's like basically one type of protein there are two types of carbs there's simple and complex and there are how many different i mean like just just for argument's sake here and then you think of fats you have monosaturated uh poly polyunsaturated i mean how many different versions variations of fats are there <laughs> bro first and foremost I love fats. I love lipids. There's tons and tons of fats. Most people keep it within three. There's polyunsaturated, monosaturated, and saturated. That's not even the tip of the iceberg. Within those, there's different types of polyunsaturated fats. There's different types of monounsaturated fats. There's different types of saturated fats. And inherently, people think saturated fat, good. Unsaturated fat, um, sorry, saturated fat, bad. Unsaturated fat, fat's good. That's not even necessarily the case. I am, we'll talk about the whole fat thing in general, but the thing is, everybody wants to talk about nutrition in black or white, good or bad. Good fats, bad fats. Good carbs, bad carbs. I've never heard anybody say bad protein, I guess. I don't think that's a thing. It's simple. But the thing is, too, proteins consist of amino acids. There's there's tons of them, and there's some that are considered essential, meaning mm -hmm. that your body cannot produce them on their own. In other words, when you ingest food, your body can manufacture some amino acids as needed. Essential amino acids means they have to be obtained through the diet or supplementation. Branch chains are, are part of the essential amino acids. They have specific effects. They have a branch chain and structure, um, leucine, ionoleucine, valine. Leucine has this mechanism that basically it has an insulin response. It's, it causes the building. It's an anabolic, the mTOR trigger, per se. Isoleucine basically makes the cells receptive to said insulin response, increases GLUT4, makes the cells absorbent, um, basically receptive to said glucose response and valine works because it competes with tryptophan for absorption in the brain. It has things for increasing endurance, preventing fatigue, sensation of fatigue, and those three work together. That's why leucine by itself needs the other two branch chains to be effective. Research supports this, but I digress. There are also essential amino acids. The reason that people think, oh, BCAs are, are superior, other amino acids are not necessary, or vice versa, you have to have all of them. You want to have all of them present because here's the thing. If you're training, say, first thing fast in the morning. In that case, I'd recommend an essential amino acids as a whole. If you're training throughout the day, if you're eating your meals like you should, getting adequate protein is not as necessary in my opinion because you have the other essential aminos like throughout the day, your body has what's called an amino acid pool. And that even comes to, which we'll touch on in a second, when people talk about vegan diets, complementary proteins. Think of brand chains like this. That's your construction crew. That's signaling the start of building the house, right? But without the rest of essential amino acids, the argument is you're basically hiring a construction crew without giving it the bricks. You're not right. giving it the wood. You're not giving it the shingles. You're not giving it the, the cement. So basically, they work in conjunction. You signal the building, and you also have materials to build. Otherwise, BCAs in a fasted state can, in some data suggest, can be counterproductive, can actually cause your body to break down muscle tissue to recycle and provide those amino acids. But 
I'm going very far down the rabbit hole on one topic right off the bat, but let's let's circle back, let's tone it down a bit about macronutrients in general. First and foremost, how many times have you heard that calories are calories? Uh, you mean like uh, well, a calorie is a calorie is a calorie, right? Like, I mean, I hear it all the time, especially with people who would do the if it fits your macros type of a thing, right? Like 200 or 2,000 calories is 2,000 calories. It doesn't matter what macronutrients you, can, you consume, 2,000 calories is 2,000 calories. Okay. Okay. With that being said, one thing I, I don't agree with that at all. Now, I don't so much believe these days in clean versus dirty. Okay. Now, let me explain. But, Drew, I like dirty. I like dirty, Drew. I like dirty food too. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy. But what exactly is a dirty food? Because yeah. somebody's challenged, oh, clean or, clean or dirty. How do you define what a clean food is? And I challenge you that most. Nobody out there has a clear-cut definition of what classifies as dirty. There's no black. There's no white. And what does clean mean? Does that mean it was washed? Does it mean it was, you know, blessed by a fucking rabbi so it's kosher? Like, how do you define clean? You know, does Vanilla Grill Drew say it's clean? That makes it clean? Not so much. The thing that matters to me to more so is what the food's composed of in terms of macronutrients. One thing, and I'm touched on this very briefly here, and part of when you calculate your basal metabolic rate, your BMR, how many calories does your body burn through a day to maintain weight? Essentially what that is. The thing that people overlook when they have this calories or calorie argument is the thermic effect of food. Now, this is important in my opinion because when it comes to protein, protein is a very thermic mm -hmm. food. It's an expensive macronutrient to digest because 20% roughly of the calories ingested from protein Protein are actually used in the digestive process. It causes a thermic effect. It causes you to increase your calorie burn to break down said calories. It also is satiating and of course it's essential for a lot of function in the body. So think of it this way. If you ingest um, 100 calories of protein, in that case, 20% of those are used just in the digestive process alone. So you're having truly, in that case, 80 calories are used for energy, other things like that, but some of it's broken down just for the digestive process. Carbohydrates are anywhere, depending on where you're looking research-wise, anywhere from 5 to 10%, and fats are the least thermic of them. They're a true energy source that don't take a lot of breaking down digestion-wise, anywhere from, some people go as high as 8%, but anywhere from like three to eight is see that's why it's a very nutrient dense of also true energy food that's why sometimes when you do diets you know when you tend to increase your protein and replace those calories that like you have the same calorie levels for example if you have 2,000 calories a day and you have protein at this level carbs here fats here by dropping your carbs and fats a bit and increasing your protein the same amount of calories people typically will see a drop in weight and increase in body fat loss because you're causing a thermic effect in food that's a very topical way of putting this but that's something people never take into account you're, you're hot about this, Drew. I love it. It's, it's so to the point, and it's, that's why I don't believe in calories aren't just calories. You know, once again, I'm, I'm not set in my ways to one thing. There's a lot of black and gray here. Um, there's not one set thing for everybody, but to that point, I mean, how frustrating is it when you hear people say, oh, eating clean, 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 dirty, whatever. It, it, it's, it's black and white. It's not the case in nutrition, man. So my question, Drew, then for you is, is based on the thermic effect of food of 2,000 calories of a – I'm not going to call it a clean diet, but like of a – um, how we would say it, a healthy diet, right? Versus 2,000 calories of uh, what we would consider unhealthy diet. They're both 2,000 calories. If they're both in a caloric deficit for that person, is that person going to lose the same amount of weight in the same period of time on that same, with those same diets? If macronutrients are equal, I would argue yes. Now, here's the thing. It makes it easier, and it's funny because even people that do it, like if it's your macros, this is an attack on that. This is an example. When people start if it's your macros, even in a contest prep, it's funny because when you get toward those nitty-gritty weeks of your contest prep diet, it's interesting. Even people that do if it's your macros tend to eat those clean foods, and here's why. 
typically, quote unquote, in my mind, when I think cleaner foods is like I typically eat food based on what source it is. Like if I want carbohydrates, I tend to go for something that's primarily just carbohydrates sweet potatoes, jasmine rice, oatmeal, so on and so forth, because I can adjust and customize the amount of carbohydrates I have from that food source without getting other things in there. Yes, you could, in theory, if you want, like, say, a protein source, this is why vegan diets are tricky, have a lot of your protein come from plants, but they're also getting amount of carbohydrates with it. It's hard to kind of fine-tune what you want to do. Same with lean meats versus fat. If you need a lot of protein in your diet, but you're having things like sirloin steak, ribeye, or um, fattier cuts of beef or pork or whatever, or like say chicken thighs versus chicken breast, it's harder to keep that fat content down to get that same amount of protein. That's why the clean eating comes into effect where clean eating, it's your kind of, you can customize your source better. It's a lot easier to fine tune your numbers with say chicken breast and white rice and add fats as needed from say like almonds or Kerrygold grass-fed butter or coconut oil, whatever you prefer versus, oh, I have sirloin steak with, um, you know, say like a black beans and, and rice for say the macronutrient source. If you have a lot of fats to work with along with your carbs, it's not a big of a deal. But if you're trying to break that up more to be more precise, and that's a whole other episode for macronutrients nutrient timing pair work on nutrition but that's kind of where that comes from my mindset it makes it easier to kind of hit those numbers you know there isn't like oh this is a bad food for certain people maybe fantastic like if you need say extra fats go ahead and add in that fattier steak or if you're struggling to get calories in you have to go to a more calorie dense source but that's kind of where my mentality goes which clean versus dirty if that makes sense yeah no reason to bring it up is i've seen ads before people of People who are shredded in shape and it's like, I eat pizza, I eat chicken wings, all this stuff, and I'm still losing fat. And it's just like, okay, I feel like the false advertising aspect of that to, to the normal everyday consumer is a bunch of bullshit. And the reason why I ask is like, okay, if I'm going to consume 2,000 calories on a diet of straight frozen pizza versus 2,000 calories on chicken breast, broccoli, and, and rice, which one, which subject is going to be better off in terms of weight loss? If, if 2,000 calories is a caloric deficit for that individual – is the person consuming chicken breast, rice, broccoli, and say avocado for healthy fat um, versus the person just eating pizza, who loses weight quicker? I would argue in this case it would be equal in terms of weight loss. But the big but here that isn't taken into account is do you care about weight loss or fat loss and muscle maintenance? That's the key. Because, yeah, you can equate calories. Sure, if it's just the amount of calories for whatever, like say 2,000 calories over here with lower protein, higher fats, and carbohydrates, if you're not meeting your protein requirements versus the other thing there, you're going to have a different change in body composition. Mm -hmm. If you care about a number on a scale, that's where that fucking asshole that did the Twinkie experience a few years ago, remember that the <laughs> professor ate nothing but Twinkies and lost weight, or the person ate nothing but McDonald's and lost weight, mm -hmm. they're not taking into account, one, in my opinion, long-term health. They're also not taking into account uh, the micronutrients of things also not taking into account their actual body composition if you care about a number dropping on a scale well here's the thing you could eat nothing but a slice of pizza a day with a twinkie with a soda but if you're not getting say not enough calories and you drop weight that's great yeah see what happens to your body composition see what happens to your digestive system in terms of how you feel see what happens to your performance at the gym see what happens to your lean muscle mass yeah that's the thing don't take into account i remember watching the documentary supersize me back in college and just like i mean people listening or watching this probably probably seen it too it's I mean, it's just, it's fascinating, like how quickly the dude like put on the weight and how long it took him to take it off. And it's just if you haven't watched it, I mean, obviously those documentaries always have like a self-serving agenda. But uh, the big thing too you hear a lot with nutrition is like three meals a day is kind of like the Americanized way of eating. Like you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And those with a fitness 
centric oriented point of view. Um, I eat multiple times a day. Like I'm eating my first lunch right now. Um, I, I think based on the hours that I'm awake is it determines how many meals I eat. It's kind of how I do my I structure my day. So there's no right answer for everybody. But you always hear, well, six to eight small meals a day is what you need to have. Like, is that necessarily true? Does it actually lead to weight loss or fat loss than somebody that's having, say, just the breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Honestly, no. Here's the thing. You need to kind of do what works best for you. Typically, the fewest meals that I'll have somebody go is about four. And even then, I'd, I'd prefer maybe five to six. And here's the thing. A lot of times people thought for the longest time, it's not supported by science, where, oh, eating multiple meals or more frequently through the day will stoke your metabolism. That's not supported by science. I don't personally believe in that. Mm -hmm. The reason that I personally like to do this is for twofold. If I'm in a contest prep or a dieting phase or a client, whoever it is, breaking those meals up through the day, one, it's easier to digest it as a whole. And the other part is, too, it's going to create satiation. They're going to feel like you're eating more because you're eating more frequently. It kind of helps feed that, keeps your mind off of things, mm -hmm. and also it makes it easier for digestion. Now, especially in off-season, I definitely prefer more meals because let's let's be real. For you motherfuckers out there saying, oh, just eat, I can eat, eat whatever. Okay, if you're truly eating the, the macronutrients you need to eat and like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, however many calories it is, some of you have never gone to that dark place. Let me tell you what, you get to the 4,000 calorie day mark, you can't eat all that shit in three to four meals. You're not gonna, you're gonna feel physically like shit. It's mm -hmm. gonna sit in your stomach like a brick. Also, I mean, I don't recommend having all your protein breaking up. Break it up, have the amino acids throughout the day. Once again, it's not as big of a deal. It's just easier digestion wise. Think of it this way you go to a, one place and you have a huge ass steak and a dessert, you have a big ass meal in one sitting. How does your stomach feel versus you have a sensible portion eating that and you eat it spaced out throughout the day? It's easier digestion-wise. It keeps you feeling lighter. It's less for your body have to break down and sit through it once. You're going to feel less gassy. You're going to feel less bloated. You're going to feel less sluggish. It just makes it easier to intake those calories. That's the reason that I prefer to break those meals up. Scientifically-wise, you're not going to have that metabolism stoke. That's not supported. Okay. Yeah. Of course, if you're ingesting protein compared to um, carbohydrates and fats like you were before, some people say, oh, I started eating protein six times a day and I lost weight. It's not because you start ingesting more meals. It's because you start you change your macronutrient composition. That's typically my explanation for that for people. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. It doesn't necessarily do much for metabolism, but there is, a, there is um, research to date now that does support meal timing when it comes to protein synthesis and like your body wants – uh, muscle protein synthesis to be initiated like every three hours or so. And that's kind of like the approach that we're taking with my coach right now in off-season prep is we use that peri-workout nutrition in terms of, because I work out super early in the morning, so I'm consuming carbs and a protein shake like an hour before I get to the gym or even carbs intra-workout. But then after that initial muscle protein synthesis initiation, like we wait three hours, and that's how I do my, my meal timing. So I eat every three hours uh, to initiate MPS. Like what are your thoughts on that? That's coming strictly from my coach. I've seen the, the research. It, I mean it's, it's kind of what a lot of people are looking at today. It has nothing to do with metabolism. It has everything to do with MPS. And I'll agree with that. I mean, obviously, the, the muscle protein synthesis, the tr anabolic trigger per se, is by leucine. And that segues into the next thing I want to cover here. Like, when you hear people say, oh, you can only absorb X amount of protein at a time, it's a waste. For some reason, this myth came out with about 25 grams of protein. People think that, oh, and it's even two scoops of protein is a waste, you can't mm -hmm. absorb it. Or even this amount is a waste, you can't absorb it. Well, Okay, unless even if you're eating, say, let's do some easy math here, six times a day at 25 uh, grams of protein a shot if over that, I mean, that's 150 grams of protein. For somebody that weighs 250 pounds like myself or even you, about 200, that's not the number that I'd like to aim for. A general rule of thumb, the lowest I take people is one gram per pound of body weight. 
and that's my typical gold standard number. It works well for me, works well for my clients. People are going to debate that saying, oh, science only supports this. Well, you know what? My people get results. My clients get results. They like how they look, that adjust well. And I'm not taking people like, I've seen some absurd things, people going 400, 500 grams a day. There's no fucking reason for that, but that's too low. I think that here's how this all kind of, it's called, um, there's a certain dickhead that uh, has a whole supplement line that's known for extracting factual information from studies that aren't exactly related. Well, people get the number 25 grams, okay, 25 grams of whey protein. Now, when you ingest leucine, there's actually a dose-dependent response when you ingest leucine, where you ingest a certain amount of protein so this increased by this, you ingest this amount increased by this. Up to a certain point, the more leucine you ingest in single sitting, the higher protein synthesis gets. Up to a certain point, in that case, there's a point of diminishing returns. The more you ingest, there's not a higher exhibited amount in protein synthesis. In 25 grams of whey protein, you're getting an error from two and a half to three grams, okay? Now, with that being said, oh, if that's the maximum amount of leucine that's gonna cause an anabolic response, therefore you need 25 grams of whey protein, and so then anything beyond that is not absorbed. That's not the case. Your body's gonna absorb it all, it's gonna utilize it all. The thing is you're not gonna necessarily have a higher muscle protein synthesis response. You're not gonna have, oh, more is better in terms of having faster muscle growth. If you need those amino acids, if you're walking around with 250 pounds and you're fairly lean of that muscle tissue, you, you need to have amino acids to support that muscle tissue, to mm -hmm. support that recovery um, for all the cells, muscle, everything. So you're going to have a higher protein need. The thing is, too, you're not going to like, you know, magically, oh, if I eat 400 grams of protein, I'm going to have a higher protein synthesis response than eating 200 grams. That's not necessarily the case. So people think that causation is, oh, if I can only have a an amino acid spike of your muscle synthesis, 25 grams, and anything beyond that is pointless. That's not necessarily the case. You're going to absorb it. You're going to digest it. Either A, if you get more protein than you need, you're going to excrete it in urea. Your body's going to piss it out. B, um, it's going to be utilized. Other than that, like it is really, really, really hard and inefficient for the body to store protein as fat. I would challenge you to actually try and get fat from ingesting too much protein. It doesn't really happen in certain cases, sure. But other than that, it's like you're ingesting other fats or carbohydrates. Those are more readily available and easy to store as fat compared to protein. So you're not going to get fat from eating too much protein, in my opinion. Let me point out something that Drew just said there. He, he put himself over at 250 pounds, and he he, he he subliminally put me at 200. That motherfucker put me at 200 pounds. Don't, don't think, Drew, the entire time you were talking, I didn't just be fixated on the fact that I'm only 200 pounds. I'm 210 plus pounds, Drew. Give your boy a little bit of credit. Granted, I got the flu and I got sick as that fuck. That wasn't a slight in terms of that. It's just relative. Like, you know, mm -hmm. even yeah, okay. you weigh 50 pounds less, it's not like, you, even still, you don't need 150 grams. You need more. That no, I hear, I know. I'm just giving you shit. But the, the, it, it's interesting because there are, there are um, because of that generalization or myth that we don't utilize or absorb the protein, there have been ingredients that have been created to help with the protein absorption and breakdown, like Velocitol and some di certain different like digestive enzymes, which, I mean, we're seeing a lot more proteins. And because you are a supplement expert and I work within that field too, I'd love to get your opinion on those things, on something like Velocitol from a company that we have friends there that we like a lot. Um, you know, the research shows that it, it does increase muscle protein synthesis based on, you know, versus whey protein alone. I think it's based on six grams, so a very small amount. Um, but it's very interesting research. Like, what are your thoughts on that being a science guy? 
I think velocitol is a really cool ingredient. I think it works especially well for amplifying the effects of protein. Basically, it gets more out of the protein that you ingest. Me as a fucking meathead, I'll be real with you. When I look at like a protein scoop, I don't care if it has velocitol in it. Damn it, I still want my fucking 25 grams of scoop. It's, it's hard to beat that, you know, once again. And science does support that, you know, a little bit works better. What I think needs to happen the next step to more make that more plausible, get people to buy into it, and people are still going to be, eh, I don't know about that, is you have specific data done on 25 grams that amplifies the effect of that. Or say, oh, Oh, this data proves that, say, 20 grams is comparable to 25 grams because of lost all. You, you need to use less protein, you, so you get more servings exactly. out of it, and you get the same effect. That's honestly what's going to have to have to happen for that to be um, more prevalent, people to buy into it a lot more. Um, the thing is I do like is digestive enzymes like prohydrolase. Um, with what that does, it helps you break down the protein you're ingesting. The better your digestion is, the higher nutrient absorption is, the more effective your food becomes. And that's for proteins, carbohydrates, fats, everything across the board. So, yeah. Um, with that being said, is like say a lot of people just underestimate the importance of nutritional efficiency. You know, um, people they, they just get carried away. They think, oh, I'm just gonna eat all this crap and magic's gonna be fine. If your digestion sucks, you're not gonna feel miserable, but you're not gonna be healthy. You're gonna feel miserable. You're not gonna absorb the proteins. You're not gonna absorb the carbs, pro, uh, fats. You're, you're just not be as optimal. So there's a key. People just underestimate that. It, everything starts at the gut. Whether it be immune health, be performance, digestion, muscle building, it all starts with what you can actually absorb. Let's talk about the macronutrient that gets a lot of flack, and that's carbohydrates, right? Let's let's dive in a little bit more. There, there's complex, there's simple carbohydrates, but it's always, you know, I come from the cereal business before I did this, and like whole grains was a big thing, right? Like whole grains are better. Whole grains are just they taste better. They're better for you. Um, there's a lot of conversation around whole grains, and a lot of people listening to this are probably eating like fucking bread on a regular basis or hamburger buns or whatever it might be. And it's like, well, this person said this and this research article says that. Like, set the record straight, Drew. What do you know about whole grains and, and the selection when it comes to those? Hold on. Have you seen that? Uh, it's like the video clip of Tyler, the creator. He's like, that was a fucking lie. When you said <laughs> whole grains taste better, that was a fucking lie. Like, seriously, I, I can't. I, if you look at me straight in the face, and tell me, I enjoy the taste of whole grains better. Yeah, right. A fucking liar or a masochist. I'm sorry. That it, that's not the case. But anyway, beside the point with that is, yes, I think that the point of the whole grains driving home where a lot of times it became popular, people are eating a lot more processed bullshit than they should on a daily basis. And you do need to make sure that you're getting in those quote unquote more whole food sources. In my opinion, I typically like, you know, jasmine rice, sweet potatoes, oats, lean meats versus packaged bullshit, you know, like ready to go meals and so forth. They have their place as well. These people are eating a lot of snack foods, packaged things that don't have that same nutritional value. They're not getting enough fiber. The thing is alarming is a lot of people aren't getting enough fiber and it's causing crappy digestion. It's causing things like colon cancer. They're not having things um, addressed. So therefore a big push is oh, whole grains have more fiber. It's an inherent way of having more nutrient density, naturally occurring vitamins, minerals, and fiber content. And people took that and took it to the extreme. So that for a long time there, everybody's big push, oh, fiber, 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 whole grains, made a whole grain. It was a marketing ploy. You're seeing that now, interestingly, everybody's marketing on protein. Like I see things that's actually laughable. Like I think it's like uh, Nestle breakfast or whatever. So, mm. Oh, as much protein as an egg. I'm like, good for fucking you. That's like five grams. Like, yeah. am I supposed to have like seven servings of this shit? Like, what? So it's interesting. It's more of a marketing ploy. People, it is encouraging people to eat more whole foods, get more fiber in there. But then also it can work against you. I can tell you, if you want to have a miserable day, 
start your day out one day and say, you know what, I'm going to have oatmeal with blueberries for breakfast and sweet potatoes for lunch with a bunch of vegetables. So at supper, at, at you know, my midday meal, I'm going to have two cups of broccoli with on with a whole grain sandwich. And you go from zero to 100 on your fiber intake, you're going to be a very miserable, bloated, and gas, <laughs> gassy human being. You need to gradually increase that and or use sources that have um, less, I guess, um, gas response that's not a scientific way of putting that they're easier to digest more soluble fibers and you know don't go extremes with it let your body adapt and build your fiber fiber intake gradually so the issue i have with this is that a lot of times people automatically will demonize things anything white i mean you know ryan's very white people demonize him just off the bat yeah, because he's mm -hmm. a very scary wisconsin man but with that being said, you don't necessarily have to go whole grain everything. You're going to have some added benefits to a degree. But then again, look, motherfuckers, if you look at whole grain bread, sometimes they still add syrup and sugar and shit to that too to make it taste better. It doesn't inherently make it better. Okay. And a lot, a good example of this, and we'll cover a couple things on here to not run too long, but a lot of times people will go automatically. One of the biggest bullshit hell things ever is brown rice, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not dying about this. I've cited this a few times. I've called out some people and have gotten some very <laughs> big response. Like, what the fuck? And I flat out say this. This has been an exact post. It says, if you're if you're a coach and you advocate using brown rice, you don't know what you're doing. And people got fucking up in arms. They saw the glycemic index and, da -da -da, and the fiber content and the protein content. And I'm like, first off, chill the fuck down. Okay. Then I ask them, okay. Why is brown rice so fucking superior? Why is it so good? Their response automatically, fucking cookie cutter response, has a lower glycemic index and has fiber. Okay, well, let's start from the top here. I'm a huge advocate of jasmine rice. I know you are as well. Yeah. You know why jasmine rice is a fucking rock star sucking source of carbohydrates? Because it's an amazing source of glucose. It's one of the most hypoallergenic carbohydrate sources you can intake. It's carbohydrate dense. So if you need a lot of carbs, you can do it. That's the other part too. If you're a bodybuilder needing three to 400 grams of fiber a day, good luck getting that from things like sweet potatoes and oats. You're going to feel so fucking full and bloated. It's not going to be feasible. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to digest. It pairs well. Now, Brown rice and pears into white rice. If you look at the hard statistics here. Okay, on paper, you're gonna have a, like a gram or two more fiber from the brown rice compared to white. That's negligible, if anything, in my opinion. That's not a huge deal. The other issue two people underlook is that there is phytic acid in the bran of brown rice. White rice has the bran of the rice stripped off and it makes it, of course, white. It doesn't have the husk, the bran. That has also phytic acid. Phytic acid is an anti-nutrient. It can interfere with mineral absorption to some degree. And of course, a lot of people, they can actually have irritation and some bloating from the, the actual brown rice. So the fiber that everybody hypes up and talks about with brown rice can actually be counterproductive in a lot of individuals. They don't digest it well. They feel a little heavy. They feel a little bloated. It actually works against you. Having it on occasion, if you enjoy it, sure, have some brown rice. It's not going to be a big deal. But in general, if they're using a bulk of it for brown rice, it can actually be counterproductive. It's an anti-nutrient. The other part people think they'll go to and they think they have an ace in the hole with their argument is, oh, glycemic index, glycemic index. Honestly, it's a little bit outdated because here's the thing people forget. Anytime you're ingesting pro uh, carbohydrates along with a protein source, a fat, or a fiber, you're going to dramatically lower its glycemic response. Glycemic response is basically how fast it causes blood sugar to rise upon ingestion. The guy being 100 off the top of my head, if I'm not mistaken, I, it's table sugar, correct, mm -hmm. at 100? Yep. So therefore, like, oh, it's a high glycemic food. It's going to house a massive blood glucose response. Well, the thing is, too, that's a little bit outdated. I don't remember the exact numbers top of my head, so bear with me here. As a more applicable measure of this would be the glycemic load, because basically if you're basically on X amount of carbohydrates, 
Sure. But then again, when's the last time? I, I don't remember the exact number, but in, on paper, car, carrots, of all things, have yeah. a high glycemic index. So are you going to tell me that carrots are a bad food because they have a relatively high glycemic index or that an apple mm-hmm. is, has, is a bad food because it has a relatively high glycemic index? There's fiber. I thought you the fiber was your send all. Oh, that's sugar. Um, that's a different topic here. That's whatever. But the thing is, too, a glycemic load is a better indicator because based on X amount of serving glycemic load in a real-world application, it kind of takes glycemic index, advances it to like an actual real-world amount. Because I don't know how many people are like sitting down having 100 grams of carbs in one sitting from white rice by itself. I don't know people that are eating, you know, all these things by itself. In the, in the Petri dish of what it does in blood sugar by ingesting just that, sure. But that's not the real world application. That's why I may take a study saying, oh, in rats it does this. Well, it doesn't exactly translate. That's my issue with it. You're not eating rice like cereal. I mean, let's be let's be real. Uh, and and the common myth on this is like, and you've heard it a million times, Drew. Brown rice for cutting, white rice for bulking. That's gonna drive you fucking insane, doesn't it? It does. I mean, if anything, I'm like, huh, that's really funny. And then, uh, you know, be that fucking tool. But like, you know what? I ate, I ate jasmine rice my entire prep, and I'd say I got pretty fucking lean, right? And like, oh, well, you know, yeah. steroids, no, 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 no. Like, that's some bullshit. Okay, sure. You know, because that, that changes my metabolism and changes white versus brown rice. Okay, then. Yeah. Here's, we could refresh this episode every year because every year, the consumer packaged good industry creates new nutritional myths that people buy into and believe. Next year, who knows? Maybe bang energy will be actually good for you again because super creatine saving the fucking world. Uh, but um, I know we just scratched the surface. There's a lot more depth we could go into this episode. But, um, you know, use common fucking sense. And if you really don't know, like, reach out to someone like Drew who has, like, a huge passion for this stuff. Like Drew, Drew's way more passionate about this than I am. I actually listen to Drew for the stuff that I do. I listen to people who know more about this than I do. I, as you can tell, I facilitated this conversation more than anything because Drew is the uh, the doctor of nutrition here on the podcast. But follow him online at Vanilla uh, Vanilla Gorilla Drew. You can also watch his new uh, is a fucking YouTube series now. Is that what they're doing for you? Right? Is that what we're gonna it's, call it? It's IGTV. We're doing that, but also be on YouTube. It's called just Dragon Science, part of Dragon Pharma. I got the dragon shirt. But at the end of the day, I think, and Ryan can attest to this, um, I'm not going to ever go and just push my product saying it's the best product out there. I actually like other brands. I make good fucking products that I believe in that have good science behind them. But then again, I'm going to say this is not an end all. There may be something you like better that works better for you. Mm-hmm. But I am comfortable saying anything that I come out with, I'm able to defend. I'll give you rhyme, reason, rationale. And in my opinion, like, hey, this is the best product in this purpose for this space. That's where you need to put it. And on that note, I want to wrap this episode up with some advice. So with the thing about nutrition, remember, there's no black and white it's more of gray. If you have whatever situation it is, look at exactly what you're asking and what the response is and in what frame of reference. An easy way of looking at this in general, when I have a diet for design for somebody, anybody of my clients, the emphasis needs to be having the best absorption possible, not causing uh, intestinal irritation, not causing bloating, gas, things like that. Things that aren't going to piss off your digestive system because the more efficient you work digestively, the better results are going to be, the better performance is going to be, the better you're going to feel, the better you're going to utilize the nutrients you're intaking, and so on and so forth. So when it comes to things like fats, okay, have a blend of fats. Have some things in there. Saturated fats for hormones can be fantastic. Or have some unsaturated fats in there. Typically, polyunsaturated fats interestingly to a degree can cause inflammation because a lot of people with omega-6s yes you need them but to a certain degree there's an omega-3 omega-6 ratio that's way out of whack these days because in western diets a lot of people don't get enough fish or omega-3s the anti-clotting the the anti-inflammatory fats people have inflammation from having so much vegetable oil canola oil those two are fucking garbage in my opinion i don't like using them at all 
it's high in omega-6s and polyunsaturated fats, or you're getting way too many of them, it can cause chronic inflammation over time, okay? So maybe introduce things like avocado and olive oil, or even uh, omega-3s from fatty fish such as salmon. Those are good alternatives. Get those in there to help your digestive system, joints, so on and so forth. Or if you're looking at protein sources, okay? Um, you don't have to have, here's the thing, a secret. I'm, I'm not vegan. But if somebody wants to do a vegan diet, you can do different things with it. One thing I'll even support here, people's little argument, oh, vegan diets, they don't have complete proteins. Well, here's the thing. One, there's complementary proteins. You can have two different food sources to get a complete amino acid profile. Mm -hmm. An incomplete protein means like say whatever it is, like soy protein or pea protein, like, oh, it's lacking in certain essential amino acids. Well, here's the thing. Lo and behold, you don't necessarily have to eat them all in one sitting. The key is that throughout the day, you're getting that from another source. So your thing is an amazing machine. It can go through, have an amino acid pool. At some point in that day, it can take the amino acids as it needs when it needs it. Aside from leucine, which is, triggers your muscle protein synthesis response, if you eat them throughout the day, chances are you'll be okay. So it, once again, it's not a cut and dry answer. It's situational. It depends what you need, what your goals are, what kind of diet you like. It's no easy answer. And I know that's the answer people don't want to hear because, damn it, I want to learn this. Well, if you really want to learn it, just take time, be open to new information, learn different scenarios, things apply, learn physiology, and, and, and improve yourself. That's the best advice I have to give you of how to narrow down and cut through the bullshit on nutrition. Love it. And on that note, if you guys want to follow along on this podcast, we're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're at Facebook. It's the Iron Jungle Podcast. Until next time, it's the Vanilla Gorilla. What an educational, educational episode by, by you, Drew. Congratulations. Just education 101 here. Until next time, boys and girls, y'all behave yourself.